This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that face past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. We can still say Merry Christmas, can't we? We could say Merry Christmas, and we should. We mention the name of Christ when we say that, and the season goes on for a while, and we might as well enjoy it as long as we can. Yeah, that's a kind of an anomaly, maybe just a little bit in the United States, where we've been celebrating and getting ready since Thanksgiving. And for our culture, that's a big day, too. And unfortunately, sometimes we kind of exhaust ourselves so that immediately after Christmas, we think that, okay, now it's time to pack it all away. But Hold on just a minute. Just Can you wait just a little longer? Yeah, the church helps us. You know, in our calendar of liturgical feasts, there are a lot of celebrations still to come in the days following Christmas and, and even following the Feast of the Mother of God on New Year's. Yeah, the feast that may be surprising to some immediately after Christmas is the Feast of St. Stephen the Martyr. The charism of Diaconius, or service among others, as it were, we celebrate that and his witness that was so powerful. Yeah, it's easy to miss this feast, I think, as we're resting up after the Christmas celebrations. We celebrate the feast of one of the first deacons and the first martyr in the church. So that self-gift of Stephen is a reminder of what should characterize the life of every disciple of Jesus Christ. God gives himself to us in a very personal way in the gift of, of his son Jesus and then invites us as we welcome the Lord into our lives and as our lives are changed by that relationship that we then are called to give ourselves to in whatever way we're called to do it. And for the martyrs, it was a complete gift. Christ was so present to him even when he was going through his suffering. He echoed the same words that the Lord said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the Christmas message in a very real way is he is so present to us. It's not just key moments like Christmas, but in all the sufferings and all the things that we have to endure. As we said before, we look back at Christmas time to remember the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, but our relationship with him is not only a memory. He's, he's present to us now in the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't imagine that anybody can live a life of service and certainly not be willing to suffer death for their faith in Jesus Christ if they didn't have a, a very powerful experience of Jesus with them every step of the way, and particularly at moments of challenge or when a sacrifice is required. 
Yeah, there's, in these days during the octave of Christmas, we also have a wonderful feast of St. John, the evangelist, the beloved disciple, the great contemplative. What a wonderful time with all these rich celebrations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John's an evangelist. We were reminded then right away that the the coming of Jesus, even though it was happened in a very quiet place when, when he came in Bethlehem, that his coming is not meant to be hidden. We're invited to announce his coming, and not just at Christmas, but uh, to announce his coming and his presence with us always. It's a key part of our life as a disciple. We have the Lord invites us into a deep relationship with him, a deep personal friendship with him. And he also sends us out, as he did his first disciples, as John heard that great commission, to share the light of the coming of Jesus, the light and the joy of the gospel, to share that far and wide whenever we have the chance. We're gearing towards the great Feast of the Epiphany that had traditionally been done on January 6th, but in sometimes and in other areas of the world, it can be experienced on the Sunday, as it is here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, along with, I would say, the majority of churches now. But that is that great light, to be a light to the world, isn't it? Now, the manifestation of Jesus, it first to the Magi on that day, but again, it's, we see it as part of the life of the church and really the, the mission of the church to see that the coming of Jesus is not a secret. The presence of the Lord among us is offered as a gift and a consolation to as many people as we can do. I would hope, you know, this year on the Epiphany, that uh, in this archdiocese, but in other places too, everywhere, that we would look around and realize that there are people in our neighborhood, people in the apartments down the street, people perhaps in a prison in our community, people in hospitals or in care facilities who may not know Jesus. And I think the epiphany question is, well, what are we going to do about that? Is there a way that we could bring that good news to them? We have to do that respectfully, take some thought about how that might happen. But the work of the manifestation of of Jesus is not finished. In our time, sadly, I think we're noticing there's actually an increase in people who don't know the Lord, maybe don't have any sense of God in their life at all. So we have the privilege of announcing the coming of the Savior and his living presence with us. That should be one of the big themes of our lives as we celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany and as we begin this new year, that I'm being offered the opportunity and the privilege of announcing the birth of the Savior, but really his coming, his presence, powerful presence in our time. And how am I going to do that? What's my plan for the year? What's our plan as families, as parish communities to, to bring the light of Jesus to? We say, you know, in our worship to the nations, but how about down the street and other places in our community where that light's not shining right now? Yeah, that same evangelist, John, will describe God as love, that God is love. And to be an evangelizer of that love to others, sometimes it's just the gentleness of a smile, the kindness of bringing some kind of care into a conversation, of just listening. Those types of things, that can begin the seeds, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. We want more than that for people, but we have to begin. We don't want to impose our religion on them or jar them with news or a proposal that they're not ready to accept. But we're sent out as missionary disciples to do something more than be nice to people. But being nice is good, and it's often the way that relationships begin. We meet people where they are, strike up a friendship or offer companionship, or maybe offer a favor, a ride to the doctor, or we clean somebody's snow off their walk or something. But but we should see that as the beginning of something. We'll see where it goes in God's plan. But the world needs more 
right now than are just being nice. The world really needs Jesus, and we know him, and we know the power of a relationship with him. And if we really love people, then we desire good for them, not just nice, but the ultimate good, the love and the presence of, of Jesus for them. So that's our plan. That's the direction that we want to go. And maybe we have the chance to take a further step with people. Maybe we don't, but we want to stay alert to that so that there's a path that we're following, you might say, in terms of our work of evangelization. I think it was very compelling when you just suggested that people just start where you're at. In your neighborhood, where are you? Where has God placed you in this timeline, in this location? Maybe you're in an area that, I'll just, an example, where an assisted living facility has come aboard and you have the opportunity to maybe go and see those who might need to have someone come and visit them like the magi they go and look for him in surprising places yes we want to bring jesus to people we also know we find him there and he told us that himself you know when we visit the sick or visit the imprisoned feed the hungry we're doing that for him so there's always an exchange of gifts we could say you know we we know the Lord and want to bring his love to others, but we find him there and we receive that in return. It really is a challenge for our parishes, but it's a worthy one to be characterized by mercy, by a sense of mission, especially to those who are in some kind of practical need who are not far from us. And you've encouraged us, even in those areas that in the workplace. That's right there, lunches that you may have with coworkers, not to isolate yourself, but to maybe take the extra step on a break to have coffee, just to begin to listen. And who knows what doors might open at that moment. Yes, you're right. To listen, to get to know people. You know, Jesus began his public ministry by initiating friendships with people. And there was often table fellowship and, and other opportunities just to be together on a human level. And then that becomes the basis for something more. Certainly when we strike up a relationship with co-workers or neighbors, we find that there's an opportunity for us to pray for them. As we learn a little bit more about them, as we know something about their lives, their challenges, we can pray for them. In our prayer, we can ask the Lord to show us if there's something more that we're able to do in, in terms of sharing faith. Or we'll learn that there are material needs, you know, that again, respectfully, we can reach out to them. We sometimes make our faith too complicated. <laughs> and during this season, we're reminded that the Lord comes, and as you say, meets us where we are. And we have to be there too. You know, where else can we be? So the Lord comes to meet us where we are. We do that, and we look around and say, well, okay, well, here's where I am. Who else is here with me or who else is nearby? And what's the opportunity for me to bring the light of Christ uh, to them? Sometimes our opportunities to invite someone to something that's going on at church or to be part of a small group that could be very non-threatening to them, very welcoming, really. It could be a, maybe a Bible study, maybe an Alpha group. We have a lot of opportunities, you know, that are opening up in our parishes and in our communities. We shouldn't approach it without prayer. So we ask the Lord to show us how we can be an instrument of his love to that person and when the opportunity is there. And sometimes we make a, a request or an invitation and we don't really get taken up on it, but then I think we go back to the Lord and say, well, okay, they said no, what should I do now? And usually he invites us to keep praying and, and to look for another chance. Again, he's got his eye on the folks around us, too. He loves them. He's come for them, as he has for you. And for me, he has a plan for their salvation, for life for them. And we can be part of it, but we're only part. In our prayer, we can learn what that part is, try to be generous in doing what the Lord leads us to do, and then we see what happens. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. The Gloria. 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. We continue to sing joy to the world during this period, and we kind of just sit in those Christmas graces and take that all in. And yet we experience in the liturgy one of the most heartbreaking days, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. It's quite a mystery that we place right there, isn't it, Archbishop? Well, the Lord comes because of the sin in the world, and that's a stark manifestation, a stark remembrance of it. There are similar things happening in our time in a variety of places around the world and not so far away from us. It's important that we don't over-sentimentalize Christmas. As we've said before, it's a beautiful feast, but the Lord comes because there's sin in the world. There's sin in our hearts, in our lives, and in our relationships, and there's sort of a social or corporate sin, as the Feast of the Holy Innocents demonstrates, You know where there's an organized effort to perpetrate evil, and that cries out for redemption. It cries out for for healing, and we have a Redeemer. We have a healer in Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it calls us, too, to, as you've desired for us, to enter into that prayer, to bring all those things into the Lord, that maybe, just maybe, there might be something that we can do in those arenas. And there's, it's not something that you have to do on your own, but maybe you do know somebody who's struggling. Maybe you do know someone that needs help, or 
the organizations that have literally give blood, sweat, and tears to be able to meet those needs. Maybe you can assist them in some way. So the Lord invites us to have an effect, each of us in our own way, in in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our relationships. He also invites us into the relationship of the church. So we have a personal relationship with the Lord, but not only that, we have this relationship with him in the community of believers. And in every time and place, the church as a community has found ways to respond to some of the larger needs in the community. We think about Catholic charities, we think about our Catholic schools or hospitals, where something is accomplished that no one person could do on their own. Luckily, the church has very gifted people, competent people, who can help us see what might be possible for us to do together. Also, right smack in the middle of all this is the Feast of the Holy Family. For many of us, we don't have the perfect families. I would say none of us has the perfect family. (laughs) There we go. How should we reflect on that as well and, and their desire as very tangible, wanting to be a part of ours as well? Yes, there are many lessons, and I think you named one of them. We can have a holy experience in our families without having a perfect family. And as I said earlier, the family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph didn't have smooth sailing. They had many challenges, and they continued to learn how to work together, how to pray together, how to serve God together, and their focus on the presence of Jesus in their midst. So those are opportunities that are offered to us in a variety of ways. And here again, we're coming back to the same lesson that Jesus is not afraid to be in the middle of situations that are challenging or confusing or at least not perfect. We see, too, that the family life is also part of God's plan for life in Christ. And no family is perfect, as we've said, and families find themselves in a variety of situations of joy and life and good supportive behavior and dysfunction and sorrow and illness. Just It's all worked out and experienced in families. The Feast of the Holy Family, it's important to invite Jesus in, to ask him to be part of our family, to be the center of marriages, to be the focus of parents teaching and forming their children to grow, not only as human persons, but to grow in their life in Christ, which is, fulfills our experience of humanity, our understanding of, of humanity. Well, in even all the different areas that we've talked about, even in this brief conversation, it's still a season of joy, isn't it? This is a joyful time. It's a joyful time because the Lord has come. That's the the hymn, Joy to the World. We need to be patient with ourselves and others, too, because not everybody's in a real joyful spot. And every life is a mixture of joy and sorrow, of peace and of challenge and upset. And so I think it's not fair to try to force in a human way, joy on ourselves or on anybody else. But we do receive joy and consolation and hope in our relationship with the Lord. And that's really where we put our focus in the church. That's the beauty of all these feasts, really, of this holy season. It's not an artificial or a chemical joy, you know, that we're trying to find for ourselves or impose on anybody else. The Lord comes not imposing himself, but comes quietly, gently to meet us where we are, to lead us into the joy that only God can provide. Well, during this time and as part of the close for our conversation, uh, any final thoughts? Well, we're in these days as we celebrate these Christmas feasts, also getting ready to begin a new calendar year. It's a time when we tend to make resolutions, which that's not a bad idea. My hope would be that we could resolve to open our hearts a little bit wider to the coming, to the presence of Jesus, each of us and that we would ask the Holy Spirit to resolve day by day to help us see where are the opportunities to share the light and the life of Jesus with others. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. 
You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.